0: <laughs> not quite sure what to do with that. Um, <clears throat> well, good evening. Good evening. Uh, I've got goosebumps, actually. Uh, not because of that, um, because of the song. Okay, well, as you just heard, my name is John, and um, I'm one of the leaders here at King's. Uh, lovely to see you here. I'm going to be speaking to you for the next two hours or so. Um, not really, just ten minutes or so. Um, I appreciate there are some in here for whom that's the third time you've heard that joke, and it was only mildly amusing the first time, so thank you for continuing to laugh. I really appreciate that. Um, <laughs> Actually, this feels slightly odd because, um, actually, I I hope you realise you're very privileged this evening um, because I'm wearing a tie for you. And um, that's very, very unusual indeed. It's very rare. So I used to teach in primary schools a few years ago, and in the run-up to Christmas, just in case any of the children were even thinking about getting me a tie for Christmas, I would remind them... That no one in that school has seen me in a tie since the day of my interview. So please, I just drop hints about beer and wine. Don't get me ties. Okay, so I do hope you appreciate the effort I've gone to for you. Um, but I thought it was worth that effort because this is excellent, isn't it? This is a, what an excellent occasion um, singing carols together, hearing that story again um, that we can become over familiar with, really. And uh, the band and the choir and the children have been absolutely fantastic. Um, It's a really lovely occasion to be together um, doing this so close to Christmas as well. But there are lots of lovely things about Christmas. I really enjoy the Christmas season um, and a lot of the things which go with it. I quite enjoy uh, all of that. And I imagine that everyone here has some sort of family traditions. Those things that you do to make it feel like Christmas, you know. Now it feels like Christmas. So in our house, it really starts on the first of December. Tree goes up, and we all go from there. Christmas music and all, all the rest. Although I've got to say, for me, it only really feels like Christmas once we've watched Muppets Christmas Carol, um, with a large glass of sherry to accompany it as well. Um, but but we all do things to try to get that kind of Christmas feeling, don't we? To to try and make it feel Christmassy. To get that Christmassy feeling of coziness, of um, of peace, of happiness, of togetherness, of family—all all those kind of things—and uh, one of the great philosophers of our day, Shaken Stevens, he uh, he he painted this very beautiful idyllic Christmas scene um, with these words. No. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Shaky. Um, That's lovely, isn't it? Lovely scene, except for one thing, and that is that it's utter nonsense. It's completely untrue, okay? Snow is falling all around me. Listen, there have been, in London, there have been six white Christmases since 1960. It hardly ever snows here at Christmas, so that's that's wrong. I'm really glad it's not snowing at the moment. Uh, That would completely destroy that point. Um, Children playing, having fun. No shaky, no. My children are fighting. (laughs) They're getting overexcited and and a bit hyperactive. And uh, it's the season of love and understanding. Really? (laughs) Really? I mean, because in my experience, I see a lot of people getting very tired and very stressed out about all the stuff they've got to do for Christmas, and also sick of it just getting dark at four o'clock in the evening. Um, so why do we do it? Why do we bother? Why do we bother with all this stuff that surrounds Christmas? Why do we put ourselves under that stress to try to create this atmosphere, this, this feeling? Well, I think it's because we, we do have a very real longing for peace in our lives. Because actually we're aware that we don't have it we're aware that there's something missing, there's something not quite right, and it's like we're always reaching and grasping for, we're not really quite sure what, but we're, we're grasping for something, for a peace, for a happiness, for a, a sense of fulfillment that we never quite seem able to grab hold of it. We feel like that's something we're meant to have, this, this peace, we're meant to have it, but we just can't quite... Grasp hold of it. And there's a real great restlessness in the human heart that means that even when we do find a sense of fulfillment or satisfaction in something, whether that's, I don't know, whether that's through a promotion at work or achievement, success, having money, it might be a relationship your marriage, your family, your friends, it might be buying clothes or sport or leisure or holidays, whatever it might be, whenever we find a sense of fulfillment and satisfaction in something, it's only ever temporary. It doesn't last. And we're always then looking for the next thing. There is a restlessness in the human heart. And C.S. Lewis said, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. And that's really the story of the Bible. That's the story of mankind, actually, that we were created. Originally, we were created in the beginning for another kind of world. We were created for paradise. That's what the whole thing with Eden is all about. And by that, I don't mean the the shopping center over there. It's definitely not that. That is not what I'm talking about. We were created for another kind of world, But then we lost that world, and we made a big mess of things, and we we, we got in a huge mess, and God came in. Even in the midst of our mess, he came in to rescue us. Now, I understand, of course, that to our modern, enlightened ears, for some, that's quite difficult to believe. God, Jesus, come on. are Are we not now a little bit beyond these children's stories and these fairy tales? Are we not now a little bit wiser, a bit more enlightened in our day? Well, there are a couple of things that I would say to that, without really having time to unpack them. But the first thing that I'd say is, uh, some people do think of Jesus as a myth, a mythical figure, a make-believe character for children's stories. So let me just address that one uh, right up front. The, the historicity of Jesus is really beyond doubt. There is near universal consensus among scholars, among historians, that Jesus was a real historical person who was on earth at that time and did and said some amazing things. So just to get that absolutely established right up front. But the second thing that I would say is that we mustn't make the assumption that the thinking of our day and the wisdom of our day will still be the thinking in 50 years' time. In fact, history would show that that is highly unlikely to be the case. Let me read this quote from uh, somebody called Tim Keller. He says this, It is striking to see that the opposition to Christian belief in each age changes radically from century to century. The existentialists of the 20th century were horrified by the views of the utilitarians in the early 19th century, who in turn mocked uh, the beliefs of the deists of the 18th century. In every generation, sceptics speak of what all intelligent people believe now. And yet, it is always sharply different from that which was taken as self-evident by the same kind of people just a few decades before. The racial views and discourse of our great-grandparents is offensive to us today. But almost certainly, today's reigning views of race, sex and gender will be seen as laughable or outrageous by our own great-grandchildren. That's hard to imagine because the opponents of Christianity in each era are sure that they have finally arrived at the Enlightenment, but that is never the case. Non-belief is notoriously unstable. Skeptical views go out of date very fast. see, the reality is this. The wisdom of the world, the thinking and the opinions of this world are always out of date or they're going out of date. They're constantly changing and constantly shifting. And that stands in stark contrast to the, to the gospel, to the message of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, towards which we're pointed every Christmas time. That hasn't changed in 2,000 years. It is still the same message. And actually it was signposted hundreds and thousands of years before that. So that reading that, that Jen read out before, unto us a child is born... That's from the book of Isaiah, which was written 700 years before Jesus was born. And in the Old Testament, there are many, many instances that point specifically, very specifically, towards Jesus. So things like where he would be born in Bethlehem. We've heard that tonight. Things like um, his ancestry. The fact that he would be betrayed. It talks about the manner of his death. Even talks about when he would be born. All of this written well in advance of it actually happening. So the fact is the good news of Jesus Christ never changes. It never goes out of fashion. And in a world of constantly shifting opinion, this message endures from generation to generation to generation. And it offers hope to the whole world. In 1961, Yuri Gagarin was the first man in space. And that was a really proud moment for the Soviet Union because they'd beaten the Americans to it. And the the Soviet leader of the time, Nikita Khrushchev, he declared on behalf of the atheistic Soviet regime, he said, we went into space, God wasn't there. As if that's my point proved, case closed. Well, C.S. Lewis responded to that through an article that he wrote. And basically what Lewis was saying was that if there is a God who, who created us, you wouldn't find him in space. Because a God wouldn't relate to humans in the same way that a man on the second floor would relate to a man on the first floor. Where all the man on the first floor has to do to find him is go up. No, he says, God would relate to us more like Shakespeare relates to Hamlet. Because Shakespeare is the author. Shakespeare is the creator. He created Hamlet. He created Hamlet's entire world. And Hamlet is not going to find Shakespeare in the rafters of the Globe Theatre. The only way that Hamlet could know anything about Shakespeare is if Shakespeare wrote something into the play. Something about himself, some information about himself. But in the same way, the only way we can find out anything about God, that we can know anything about him, is if God chooses or has chosen to reveal himself to us. Now C.S. Lewis had a friend called Dorothy Sayers. And Dorothy Sayers was one of the first women to graduate from Oxford University. She was a writer of detective fiction, and by her own admission, she was not particularly attractive. And she, her most famous detective character was someone called Lord Peter Whimsey. So he, she wrote a whole series of stories about Lord Peter Whimsey. And um, halfway through the series of stories, a new character emerges, and it's a woman called Harriet Vane. And Harriet Vane... In the story is one of the first women to have graduated from Oxford University. And she's a writer of mystery fiction. And she's not particularly attractive. But she and Peter fall in love and they get married in the story. And it's like Dorothy Sayers looked into this world that she had created. And she fell in love with this man she had created. And she wrote herself into the story because he was lonely. And so she decided to solve the problem with herself. And that's a very sweet and lovely story But the claim of Christmas is infinitely greater than that. It's infinitely more wonderful than that because God looked into the world he had created and he looked at us and he looked at all of our mess. And you don't have to look very far to find mess in the world and indeed in our own lives. He looked at us, he looked at our mess, he looked at our hostility towards him and he still loved us. He still said, I really want to rescue these people. I love them with everything I have. And he wrote himself into the real world. Not a fictional world. He came into the real world as Jesus, as a baby. I mean, this is just beyond comprehension. It's unimaginable that God would come as a human baby. That he would, as it were, limit himself to that and make himself that vulnerable, that helpless. And put himself in the hands of men. But the thing is, he came not just to be with us, not just to share the experience with us. But he came, and it was always the plan that he would die for us. That's why he came. He came to sacrifice himself so he could rescue us. He came to die in our place. It's the most stunning exchange that there has ever been. Because he left, in doing that, he left a place of unimaginable majesty and glory to come as a baby. So that we could have access to that majesty and that glory for eternity. Jesus lost his peace so that we could have peace with God. He was rejected so that we could be accepted. And he gave his very life so that we could have life and we could have life to the full. Christmas, Christmas is very, very good news. Emmanuel, God with us. The central and defining event in all of history. And so I just want to finish now by extending an invitation to you. And this is an invitation for those of you for whom Jesus isn't central in your life. I want to invite you to come and check this out for yourself. Because this is too important to miss. It's too important to ignore. Come and check this out for yourself. Come and see what God has done. We meet here every Sunday at 9.30 and 11.30. Uh, except for the 27th of December, which there's one meeting at 10 o'clock. But on a normal Sunday, 9.30, 11.30, and across those two meetings, we have around 700 people who come. And those 700 people, there's a range of ages from zero right up to 90. There uh, are many different nationalities. So we counted in September, 48 different nationalities in our congregations. And they're from all sorts of different backgrounds come and check this out for yourself. You'll be very, very welcome. Come for a few Sundays. Don't just come for one. Come for a few to have a really good look at this. And I can guarantee if you do that that there will be a couple of things that you will see. The first thing that I can absolutely guarantee if you come on a Sunday morning is that you will not see me wearing a tie again. Okay, I will not be wearing a tie. But the second thing that I am absolutely convinced you will see if you come here on a Sunday morning is that you will see the reality of Jesus in people's lives. A bunch of very ordinary people who have been profoundly affected by the power and by the love of Jesus and by the peace that he brings and that he brought at that first Christmas. So that's my invitation to you. I guess it's really a challenge and an invitation to come and check this out for yourself. Come and see what God has done, what God is doing in the lives of ordinary people today. Not not just in, in history, but what he's doing today. And see why Christmas means so very much and understand that he came for you as well. And so while we can all enjoy all of the stuff that surrounds Christmas, the great news here is that you don't have to depend on any of that stuff to find that sense of peace, that sense of coziness, that sense of family. You don't need to depend on it for that. Because the the reality is, it is possible for you to have a peace. And it's a peace that will last because it's peace with God. That is what is on offer to you. So do have a really great Christmas, and I do pray that your Christmas will be filled with the love of God and with the peace that he brings.